In this episode of Joey Talks, I got to speak to an old friend of mine. Julia Wang is a current senior at Howard University, majoring in broadcast journalism. On top of being a current intern for NPR, she covered the 2020 election for Howard University and her own capstone. I have known Julia since I was in middle school, battling it out on the tennis courts, and it has been amazing to watch her succeed in college and broadcasting. This was the first time we had talked in about four years, so it was great to catch up with her and have a thrilling conversation about sports activism. Everybody, this is Julia Wang. And so, Julia, just to start, I want you to take me through this past year for you as like a student, as a person, and as, as a journalist. How has that been? It's been crazy, um, especially, well, of course, in the COVID-19 pandemic, that has changed everything. Um, I, my school was converted to online school in my senior year. Um, and in that senior year, I was taking, I am, or I was taking my capstone broadcast journalism class, which um, involves a lot of shooting um, and, and creating news packages, kind of exactly what you see on the news, uh, doing spots. And especially during the 2020 uh, election campaign season, it was was insane. So trying to adhere to guidelines and be, you know, on the ground when things were happening uh, was definitely a feat, <laughs> uh, definitely a challenge. Uh, but yeah, I, I had to, you just had to change everything. So we were uh, shooting live broadcasts um, through completely through Zoom uh, or completely on online uh, circumstances. And so I, we would, um, we did a 30 minute uh, final broadcast for like our final exam kind of or final project. And then for election day, we did a live live to tape broadcast um, covering the election. So same day stories, I, I had the opportunity to go out and interview um, Kamala Harris, now Vice President Kamala Harris's line sisters from Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated, uh, who were also um, you know, my bison, my fellow alumnas. Um, so that was really cool. And then we would go back and we did a whole broadcast that was, you know, with live coverage updates of what was happening on election night, which as we know now did not end on election night. So it was definitely interesting. Um, we definitely had to switch gears really fast and kind of figure out how to do everything in a virtual space. On top of just being challenged as a student, not being able to travel home as frequently, um, originally from Southern California, but now uh, in Washington DC so it was it's, it was a tough year uh, not I haven't seen friends since we left campus last March 13th um, and we're coming up on that one year anniversary now so it, it's definitely been a whirlwind but I've been uh, happy to, you know not directly directly affected at least not my immediate family by uh, COVID-19 uh, thankfully so but it's still a lot of people around me um, definitely a lot of uh, other family members have been so it's just been a very stressful year um, so I'm, I'm hopeful rounding this corner uh, of the pandemic hoping it comes to an end. Yeah absolutely this podcast is centered on athlete activism but before we even start there I know obviously you are a journalist and someone who is a voice for the voiceless. And so I was wondering, why do you think it's important for people who have a platform to use it when speaking out against social injustice or any other topic? Um, I think it's important that 
we are constantly, especially as a journalist, I always think that we, you know, uh, or I hope, assume to be a journalist, um, I hope that uh, our platforms is to always you know, check the government, kind of like a, a dog watcher, uh, in a sense, um, to alert the people and the citizens of this country and abroad of the injustices that are constantly going on and, you know, making sure we're holding our uh, elected officials accountable on all on all sides. But um, just in general, I think journalists speaking up for social justice is just a part of our everyday job. Uh, we're, like you said, we're giving voices to the voiceless. So when those voices are not heard and those voices are constant and the, the people behind those voices are constantly being um, abused, whether it, um, it is due to their race or ethnic background or their sexuality or gender identity, it needs to be heard so that we can bring awareness um, to a larger, the larger community and whatever platform, whatever reach we have as individuals, um, and then the reach of our affiliated media organizations. So I definitely think it's our responsibility and, and we are the protectors of democracy without journalism and without uh, reporters constantly on the scenes in communities that don't have a national platform or aren't seen as much. Those stories have to get out because our country and our democracy that we stand on depends on it. So I I always think it's important to use your platform, whether you're a journalist or not, to speak up for the issues that you care about most and that affect you the most um, and affect others in that, you know, touch your life. Because if it touches your life, it, I'm guaranteeing it touches somebody else's life and they would like to see their story on a national platform or even a local platform. And sort of to add on to that question, what do you think makes an athlete's voice um, so different or unique? from other people with a similar platforms, such as like politicians or celebrities? I think in a way, athletes, at least for this, well, I think in a way athletes have always been kind of celebrities or considered celebrities, or maybe they've grown to that, into that celebrity status. Um, but it's, I think athletes play an important role um, in social justice and they always have. Uh, I think it's become more prevalent now maybe, or maybe we just um, are just kind of now realizing it. But I, I think the difference is that, you know, we would use, athletes are kind of like entertainers. You know, we look to them to provide us, you know, a distraction from our world um, or, or from the every, harshes of everyday reality. And so when they speak up on those harshes, it's almost like, why are you even saying that? Like, aren't you just supposed to, you know, dribble a ball or throw the football, or run a couple yards or, you know, uh, whatever that sport that, you know, they do. So when they use their voice and they have thousands and millions and billions of fans across the world, and they use that voice to speak up for something that they see as wrong, um, it makes a difference and people hear them. Whether, and those fans don't have, you know, political, they do have political affiliations, but the fans, they don't think that that athlete does. And so when they speak out and they make their political affiliations or even social justice fans that should not be, you know, politically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Politi politically driven or even have politics attached to them. Um, it creates divisiveness between their fans. And I think the ones that do speak up are willing to lose the fans um, that 
do not stand for the same things that they do um, and make that stand and then gain fans that they didn't have before. So I think it's definitely important, but they, um, I think athletes throughout our, um, at least American history have, you know, uh, constantly been in the battle for social justice, and I'm glad that, to see that they continue to, to do so in this new generation. And so these next two questions I have, I was really interested to get your take on because they're sort of current events, and I'm not sure if you heard recently, um, soccer star Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he basically came out and with comments telling LeBron James to more or less stick to sports, saying he said, he being LeBron James, it's phenomenal at what he's doing, but I don't like when people have some kind of status and they do politics. Just do what you're best at because it doesn't look good. And so what, what would you say to that? What would you say to those comments? I think those comments have a little bit of racial undertones. And I hadn't heard that quote before. Um, so I'm glad you brought it to my attention, but a little bit of racial undertones, like, you know, just stick to what you do. And, you know, LeBron specifically has given so much back to his community um, and building schools and pro constantly donating to programs and stuff like that. So this is a home base for him. These are experiences, you know, experiences that are on national platforms and we see, you know, uh, kind of splared across TV screens, those have affected him. And so he's not, he's speaking up for his community and the people he's grown up with and, um, and everything in between. So I don't think it's about sticking to sports. It's not about sticking to what you're good at. It's about speaking up for what's right or what you believe is right. And I think telling a felt even a fellow athlete, you know, to kind of stay in your own lane. Well, I, I think the athletic lane constantly intersects with politics. There's no, I don't believe there's any occupation you can have on this earth, let alone this country that does not have some sort of political intersection, whether, and that goes to sports as well. I mean, team owners are political, have political affiliations and some of them are even, you know, state representatives or senators. So there's no way that you can just kind of, and those state representatives and senators are making political decisions while owning, you know, a group, a, a team of athletes that are, you know, paid in the millions and billions of dollars in those contracts to, uh, to go on TV and play their respective sports. So I, I definitely think that there, the intersection is important and speaking up on that intersection and those social justice issues, um, and using their platform, uh, or specifically LeBron James's platform to stand up for what's right is, is really important. And uh, I don't think there's necessarily a lane to stick in. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said. It was interesting. And LeBron sort of made some comments about it afterwards of just being like, shut up, man. I do my I'm homework. Sure. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> uh, and similar, another, another soccer star in um, England, Wilfred Zaha, he's from the Ivory Coast. And um, has been a major supporter of Black Lives Matter and English soccer. Um, he had some interesting comments about a few weeks ago. So basically since the restart of English soccer due to COVID, it was the summer of 2020. And all players would take a knee before the beginning of the game to show solidarity on the fight against ra racism and discrimination. And Zaha said that the kneel down was degrading and it was just being done to tick boxes basically, going on to say that, that there was no real change happening. And so I was wondering, would you agree with those, those comments that some of the gestures that these sporting teams and sporting leagues are doing are actually making us numb and blind to the real problems around us? 
I think that the gestures that athletes show in terms of um, trying to show solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement or the fight against racial injustice in this country and abroad are, they can be gimmicky. However, it's, people still hate them. People still talk about them. So people still object to them and protest against them. So while it can seem like a you know, just kind of for show, or it can seem like it's, you know, not genuine. I think it still causes national conversation and national or in and international protests against um, uh, against these stands for racial justice worldwide. So whether it seems gimmicky or not, or if it is, it comes from a genuine place or not. I think these athletes using their platform and sacrificing brand deals and their positions on the team and going up against, uh, you know, team owners and, and uh, you know, the higher ups that own these um, athletic corporations is still a stand regardless and still, um, and, and still matters. Uh, and their voices j matter just as much as the next citizens or the, or the next players or the next, you know, person walking around in their country. It's some little kid still, you know, says like, wow, my favorite athletes took a stand for what was right, no matter what. So they are still looking up to that person. And there's still that other little kid is like, wow, I can't believe he did that. I'm not his fan anymore. And that's still a conversation. So it's important either way. And even if it still, if, if it still seems like a gimmick and it doesn't seem real or sincere, I think they're still using their platform and making important sacrifices uh, for to stand up for things that are right to them. And so sort of going back a little bit just before the 2020 election, a goal of a lot, and I'm sure obviously you know this, of a lot of social justice organizations was to have as many people registered to vote as possible and yeah. to get people to turn out for the election. And that happened. I mean, a ton of people were there and it was a great voter turnout. And so I guess my question now, now that we're in March, it's like, what, what now? How do we keep these people focused on the current events around them and not like keep them interested in politics, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the difference in voter turnout specifically with this election and, you know, the grassroots organizations out in Georgia that were, you know, essential and critical to flipping the state blue is a direct fight against voter suppression. Those people have never not been involved in politics, but they're it, it, it's modern day disenfranchisement. So it's not necessarily they weren't interested. It's they didn't have the resources. They didn't know how. And it's because of, you know, redlining and a lot of other voter suppression tactics because those um, representatives didn't want those votes to show up. They didn't want them to turn out because of the result that we had. So I think the next step is going further. There are still, even with the superb voter turnout that we had in this past 2020 election, there's still millions of votes and votes and voters behind those votes that didn't get the opportunity to vote because those discrimination tactics were still prevalent in their communities. I talked to a lot of people during the election um, that were trying to vote and, you know, uh, you know, white supremacist terrorist groups would show up at predominantly black vo or voting sites that were in predominantly black and brown communities that would throw rocks at them. 
um, and they did it every day. And so they were never able to go vote or it was after they got off of work or their vote, their local voting uh, registration place would close when they got off work and they couldn't make it in time. And that was every single day. So I think there's a long way to go in terms of getting the people that don't have a voice in in making these decisions on a whether it's on a presidential level or gubernational level or um, in their local communities just voting for their uh, local representatives like their sheriff or you know their community leaders those are just as important and so there's still a lot more work to be done and i think uh, whether it goes you know states flip red or they flip blue it's still giving voices and it's still giving votes to issues that matter to their local community or to the, on the national stage. Um, so there, there's a lot more work to be done. And I think uh, the, the fight against voter disenfranchisement definitely doesn't end in 2020. And it will, it, it's a constant battle and it will definitely continue. I guess the last question I had um, was more of a personal question. It was, it's kind of crazy. I know we're both seniors this year. You went to school in Washington, D.C. in probably one of the most important and newsworthy times like in our country and the world ever. And obviously you're a journalist, broadcast journalism major. So, I mean, this is you're paying attention to this every day, I'm sure. What did you learn about yourself and about our country over these four years or so that you've been in D.C. at school? so many things so many things that I probably will not be <laughs> that I can't even think of or be able to say. Sure. I think one of the things I've learned this year is the importance that the important work that journalists do every day. We are just as much as essential workers. Like what would you, what would everybody do if the news just shut off? You know, like yeah, and no, that's true. We just did it just didn't happen. Like it would be the weirdest thing in the world if you turned on the TV and there was just no news. So, you know, a lot of hosts and TV anchors have been making setups from their homes. Uh, I mean, I'm on a much smaller level, but I had to buy like a ring light and mics and stuff like that. And people had to use their plasma TVs as backgrounds to make it look like in there in the studio so that life could continue on. And the news was a big part of that. And stories needed to be heard now more than ever, whether it's about, you know, um, you know, disproportionate uh, vaccine rollouts or testing rollouts in certain communities across this country in the battle against COVID-19 or voter suppression and disenfranchisement that we were talking about, um, or really anything that you can imagine, uh, we were needed now more than ever. And so I think people need to understand um, the essential work that journalists do and how we have constantly been defending this democracy as a country for the past, I mean, throughout the entire careers of journalists, but especially in this past year covering, you know, the racial reckoning and um, the, in the summer of 2020. It, it's also incredibly, it's also been an incredibly traumatic year, especially for journalists of color uh, covering uh, these riots and covering the January 6th insurrection on the Capitol. We had to be there for all of that in person what, while everybody else was, you know, at the comfort of their home, still watching in awe. But um, I remember having to, like, you know, walking down the streets and, you know, all the uh, windows being boarded up and metro lines for almost being all being closed. Like that directly affected, you know, living in DC that's directly affecting us and so it's 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 really it's been a really a crazy ride I mean 
Um, and I think another lesson learned as I guess like a aspiring journalist is how important it is to know how national um, national policies and national issues affect trickle down to affect your local community and how you know for example like the insurrection how that affects the local DC community, which is a majority, you know, a black and brown populated city. Um, and how though it how DC has been used as like a political playground almost for the past, you know, arguably its whole existence, but especially the past four years. And so when metro lines, 13 metro lines are closed because white supremacists would like to overthrow the capital, that directly affects people who have to take metro lines to get to and from work. And, you know, and so now what do you do when you don't have, and this is a, a metropolitan city, a lot of people don't have cars. We rely on metro lines to get us, you know, from Virginia all the way to Maryland and everywhere in between in, in DC. So when you don't have a car and you metro to work and all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> there's a, a riot going on and, you know, your metro line is closed, that directly affects you and that directly affects your coworkers and how you're getting home safely and stuff like that. So I think just, that's a small example, um, but, you know, just the importance of making sure the voices of your local community are heard in this, on, on when the national stage and those issues are seem like a lot of noise because, that noise carries and, and, and is probably louder in your local community than you think. Um, but just the, that, that, I think those two things are the biggest things I've learned this year. Um, and just the importance of taking care of yourself, honestly, like as a co full-time college student, trying to balance internships, a full class load, you know, being away from home, dealing with the pandemic and the losses that have come from that, the personal losses and even the losses of something Trivi as trivial as graduation um that all takes a toll eventually and so the importance of taking those mental health days and you know uh, urging your universities and institutions to to help you in those matters is equally as important so yeah <laughs> awesome well thanks again julia for talking to me today and taking some time out of your day to talk to me i really appreciate it and yes, thank you to everyone for tuning in um, and stay tuned for more. I've always admired Julia for it seems she always knows the right thing to say and says it so clearly. You can also tell she's so passionate about what she is saying. She is someone who cares about social justice in this country and I think that was extremely evident. As she graduates, I know she's someone who's going to become a fantastic journalist because of her skills and passion. Well, that's it. This episode does it for my five episode series on sports activism, and I hope you learned as much as I did, as this was such a thrilling experience. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. This is Joey Talks.